Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Tell Us Running Podcast. I'm Steve. I'm here with Kristen. Hey, Kristen. Hello. Um, we're sorry we missed you guys last week. Um, we were supposed to have episode seven last week. Um, but, but my kid ruined it. Yeah, you're oh. poor Max. Poor Max. She was, um, we spent a few days in the hospital. She had a, a staph infection. Uh, she's two and a half. It really sucked. It was sad. It was a weird staph infection. Not one I've ever heard of. Yeah, it it gave her burns all over her body. I'm being really cool about it right now, but um, <laughs> at the time, I was not very mm, cool. No. But as a shout out to our last episode on meditation, meditation really helped get <laughs> me through that. I'd also put a little perspective about the difference between pain and discomfort as well, because it's so interesting after we cut that episode how I've thought many times about my own experiences and how there is a clear delineation in my mind now between the pain and the discomfort and they need to be, it needs to be addressed. Yeah. Anyway. Which will be relevant for today's episode. For sure. Um, I also wanted, since we got, um, I've, I've, I've recommended and asked for repeatedly for folks to let us know how we're doing and how they feel about the podcast. Um, I got a wonderful email um, today about how they enjoy our podcast, and thank you very much, Steve, for your um, your your positive feedback. It was very valuable for us to hear. Um, but he also gave me a short story about how he utilized the episode from last week for this week. So um, what I thought I would do is, um, is it going too high? Sorry, yeah. folks, we're checking our technical difficulties. No, it's all good. Yeah, it's so, good. Um, <laughs> Kristen's keeping an eye on my recording techniques. Thanks, Kristen. Just make sure we keep it all clean and simple and beautiful. Not clean language. Just no, fuck that shit. Anyway, all right, there moving you go. On. Um, so Steve sent us um, a great story, and I just wanted to read it out loud to everybody because I thought it was um, it was really interesting. So he said, last week I listened to episode six, When Shit Hurts. That was great timing because on Sunday I had an 18-miler scheduled that I was not feeling. I had been working around the house all day Saturday, and then come Sunday morning, the weather was cold and rainy. Two to three miles in, and I'm thinking about to myself, how the hell am I going to get through 18 miles today? I was maintaining around MGP plus two minutes. Somehow I gutted it out through 12 miles, and then I thought of you. I could hear your voice in my head telling me, you chose to do this. You want this. There is going to be discomfort. But if you can't deal with it now, how the hell are you going to be able to do it on race day? I realized that at that point, running the first 12 miles was just something I needed to do to get to that dark place. I had a decision to make. I actually wanted to be in that dark place. I wanted to see how I would respond. And so I said, fuck it. Let's go. Pace didn't matter. Nothing else mattered. My only, res only my response mattered. And that's what the purpose of my 18-miler was on Sunday, to see if I could respond. I closed out strong and felt great. Thanks for putting your voice in my head. It helped me realize where I was in the moment and to make the right decision. Regards, Steve. Anyway, that was a great story, and I'm really thankful that this, the meandering and, and uh, discussion that Kristen and I had was practically applicable to one of our listeners. So um, thanks, Steve, for sharing with us. And anybody else that has information they want to share with us about our podcast, good or bad, or however you want. Mm, no, just, just good. No, we, all, everything is all good. You just want good? I mean, you only want sunshine being blown up your rear? That's all you want? I, you don't, yeah, want, the, you don't yeah. want the hard, tough stuff? No. <laughs> I do. So just send it to me. 
<laughs> at sisson at telosrunning.com. That's sisson, S-I-S-S-O-N, at telosrunning.com. And as I'm speaking here, Kristen is pulling books off of the bookshelf, looking at books that have nothing to do with the podcast we're about to talk about, but she just can't help herself. She's an addict. You want to be the pot or the kettle? <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. So we wanted to share that with you. Um, and then, uh, you know, I don't know, is there anything else you want to banter about on that discussion, on that, on that letter or anything you want to share about last week's podcast that we haven't already? No, you know, because I feel like I'm in such a weird gappy space with, with the podcast because I have a whole like week and a half of life that just disappeared into the hospital and the. It's weird how that works, isn't it? Like. Yeah, that and then also I'm not running, so it's I I'm like just dun 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 dun. That's yeah, that's something our listeners may or may not know. <laughs> I'm running significantly more miles per week than Kristen that's is. It's not hard to do. <laughs> so don't that's what I'm saying. Don't pat yourself on the back too I, much. I but I what I mean to say is that I think a whole lot of people would be absolutely patently shocked to think that I could po- that I would possibly be running more miles than you do. Or that I wouldn't be running. Exactly. And still living. But that's another podcast for another day, right? Yeah. Going anyway. on the details. We're excited at some point in time to share the uh the positive end story of Kristen's long circuitous circuitous and difficult battle with her running related injury but that's not for today today we're going to talk about boston the boston marathon it's seven weeks out from boston and uh we were hoping to cut this episode last week where it would have been eight weeks out from boston but here we are seven weeks out and we want to talk to you guys about specific things that you can be doing now that you should be doing now to prep for that race um this is also applicable to anybody doing other spring marathons it's not just for boston but our focus here will be boston related um so hopefully it'll still be very valuable for anybody else running a spring marathon or anybody just thinking about running in general we're going to have some stuff here that's about physical training about the work that you would do we'll also talk a bit about determining race strategy and playing with race strategy specifically for boston And then we're going to talk some more about mental training approaches like we love to talk about every single week. And we'll be bringing some of those to you specifically about Boston. Um, But before we get started, we wanted to say, well, as we get started, we wanted to say, we are not producing today a definitive guide to the Boston Marathon. And we're not producing the definitive guide to strategy, mental training, the course preview, and all those other things. There's lots of other locations that you can find valuable and great information on the Boston Marathon. Um, In particular, two podcasts that I can suggest to you that I was a part of, the Running Rogue Podcasts episodes number 14 and episode number 69 were both specifically about um, preparing for the Boston, some hot tips on getting ready for Boston specifically, and those would be very valuable for people to go back and listen to. But um, And then there's other other resources all over online in order in terms of getting the best approach to handling your Boston. What we want to do is, what are you doing training-wise? And what are you doing in your mind and body to be prepared for this race? And so um, we are made the argument a couple of times about how it always seems like it's a day late and a dollar short to talk about mental training in the week prior to a race. So we're putting our money where our mouth is. I think that's going to be pretty much the 
a really important and common theme that we'll have throughout this podcast is that, so just so that we don't have to preface that every single time, which is you should be planning every single aspect of your race months in advance. And that's from obviously like the race course and down to mantras and mental training, nutrition. Don't wait until two weeks before your race to figure out what the fuck you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. I'm off my soapbox. No, you're, I mean, basically go to our website and look at our core values. One of our core values is what does the race require? And we are always going to be asking you what your race requires. And that should be something you should be thinking about every time that you get out and run. Um, not necessarily has to, that it has to take over your entire thought process, but just that you're consistently in the mindset of thinking about what your race requires. And in this case, seven weeks out from Boston, what do you need to be thinking about to be prepared for Boston? Where are the cameras so that you can look fly as fuck? <laughs> Smile. Are they out there? How many are there out there? I actually have no idea. I take really shitty race pictures or like maybe I just look really stupid when I race and they just catch me at any time or the worst times. I don't know. So and also in the interest of full disclosure, Kristen has significantly more race experience at Boston than I have since I have no race experience. Zero. I mean, thousands, well, hundreds and hundreds of runners I have coached to Boston, but never have I run it. I've run every section of the course, but I've never run it myself. So Steve, would you say that you're always the bridesmaid, never the bride? <laughs> is that how that? I don't know that is that's that relevant, that? but I just yeah, okay. I wanted to say it <laughs> because it makes me think of you in a dress. And Oh, wouldn't know. that be wonderful? My hair's long enough, that's for sure. Anyway, moving on. Uh, do you <laughs> Enough go, discursive talk. Do, do you want to go over just really quickly some first-timer tips? Let's do that. Let's do it. Okay, so just in case you've never run Boston, and just in case you don't have any uh, runner friends who could tell you what's <laughs> what, um, there are a lot of resources online. I don't know what they are, but I'm sure they're out there, um, where you can find out everything you need to know about the starting experience and the ending experience of Boston. You should be looking these things up, but very quickly, just as a heads up, um, you take buses in to Athletes Village where you wait before you go to the start line. Um, if you don't pay for a chartered bus, you take the school buses that Boston provides and you get kicked off of them immediately and you have to go wait in Athletes Village, which is really crowded, blah, blah, blah. Um, so make sure you never know what the weather's going to be um, until, I don't know, like the morning of. <laughs> so make sure that you take enough clothing, um, sunscreen, raincoats, whatever you figure that out. Um, but also, and most importantly, is figuring out how your nutrition is going to work because and not that we don't have any product sponsors, but this is why I'm a big fan of <laughs> of you can because um, you just carry your bottle with you and fill it with water and you can drink it at any point in time. But you'll be up several hours before you start. So this race. race starts at an unusual time, right? You let's we right. tell them. That. Yeah, it yeah. starts at like ten thirty. Yeah, like that. it depends on where your particular corral is and what, but at terms of what time you start, but but I think you have to be on the buses at like I don't know six a.m. or something yeah, so like that. You're it's like you're going to be going to the starting line of your race. However, it takes forever to actually gain admittance to the village and get to the starting line. Right. So if you if you pay for the chartered bus experience, you get to wait on the bus, which is really nice if it's hot, cold, and there are bathrooms on the bus. Um, no matter 
where you are um, at Boston, you're always waiting for a bathroom and not just like two minutes, but like a hundred million minutes. So just have these things in your mind, um, go to different forums, read about them, ask people what their experience is, but know that you will, it is not like any other race and you will have to wait a long time. So plan accordingly. And then after you <laughs> Post get, race. after we'll know, but whoa, <laughs> <laughs> when your corral is cold to start, when your wave or whatever is cold to start, um, you then walk almost a mile to the start line, which really isn't a big deal, but just be prepared. I mean, if I didn't know that, I would be through thrown for a loop. Yeah, you'd be freaked out. I and think it'd fuck with my head, for sure. I think, too, one of the things that we're really telling you is almost all of you probably already have a friend who's qualified for Boston, and so talk to them. Go for a run with them, buy them a, buy them a beer, buy them lunch, and just pick their brains on what their positive and negative experiences about Boston were, the things that they would suggest to you. Realize that if they had a cold weather day, if they only ran it once and they had a cold weather day, some of those details might be different than if it was a warm weather day. But... Basically, anybody that's experienced Boston at least once or twice knows that they that there are lots of things you have to be prepared for. You need to be a problem-solving motherfucker, and you need to have that shit dialed in now or starting to get those things dialed in now. And that's why we're actually producing this podcast this week yeah. is to get you guys to be thinking about those things. So we're not – again, this is a long discursive discussion about how – why we're doing this. But let's get on to some real specifics. Um so the things that we want to talk about from a tr- – we're going to break this down into basically three categories. First category is training focuses, so things you could be doing from a physical training aspect now seven weeks out. Hopefully some of these things you might have been doing before, but it is imperative that you're doing some of these things now. We'll talk about them. Then we're going to discuss determining your race strategy and how to approach race strategy specifically for Boston. Um And then finally, we're going to talk about some mental training approaches that would be specific for Boston. So on the front end, um, discussing training focuses. So most everybody has heard that Boston is a downhill course, or they've heard that Boston has these terrible, incredibly difficult hills from 16 to mile 20. They're not that bad. But what people don't realize is that you have both of them. And a lot of times they want to focus on one thing or the other thing. And so... First of all, the most important thing that I think that there is to be thinking about from preparing for Boston effectively is running downhill. This course drops precipitously and consistently to the 16th mile. And if you look at the actual elevation chart, it continues to climb and drop and climb and drop and climb and drop. I remember the first time that somebody ran Boston, they said to, one of the first times they ran it, they said to me, Everybody says this course is downhill, but I never noticed the downhill. All I noticed was the uphills. And that wasn't that was prior to mile 16 and getting into the Newton Hills. So this is something that you need to be aware of that there's a lot of downhill that you may or may not have a a mental experience of or an emotional experience of. However, you will have a physical experience of it. Um, and over the last 20 plus years that I've been coaching athletes to prepare for Boston, each and every single year, I have specific workouts designed for Boston. And primarily what I'm focusing on with them is running downhill, getting those muscles to load eccentrically, to load different than they load because they're running downhill is really, really crucial and critical. Um, 
that's first the neuromuscular thing that is really important. The other thing is, is trying to get your body positioned so that you can figure out how to handle your body placement in running down a hill. Some folks will throw their heel out first and lean back and throw their heel out first and bang down the hills. That's a really bad it's a really good way to fuck up your body. It, to mess up your back. And and honestly, you're putting the brakes on instead of using the hill. So downhill running um, is critical to do. So let me give you guys a few tips on how to think about downhill running. And then Kristen, who's done a number of different years of specific downhill work with me as an athlete, she can talk a little bit about the her experience of doing these workouts and kind of how they're a little bit of a mind fuck and they're a little bit hard on on you in terms of figuring them out, figuring out why your stupid, silly coach is asking you to do these things in terrible cold weather, which I think you did get a really terrible cold weather one year. But anyway. You like to do that almost every time to I, us. I got a, me and the big lady upstairs, I've got a direct dial. Bad weather, call it in. She says, okay, I got you, Steve. I'll take care of all your minions. We will make them pain, make them deal with pain and suffering. Okay, okay, maybe not. I'm looking for a new coach, if anyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one, two particular sessions I want to discuss with you that I have implemented for downhill running. The first is 1K downhill repeats. We have a, a, a course in Austin that I found that has a gradual descent that, that, is not, um, that changes pitches in terms of changes um, grade throughout the, the downhill um, 1K. And it's designed. It goes pretty steep downhill for a little while, and then it gets a then it goes not so steep, and then it goes steep again, and then not so steep. And the reason I use it is because I want variety. What that actually looks like in terms of pitch really isn't that important. What's most important is just that it's changing, and it's not one continuous downhill at the same grade, but that it adjusts and drops and adjusts and drops. And so what we do is we focus on that day. We do ten times a k on a downhill course but you go five times downhill and five times uphill so the workout starts at the bottom of the hill and my athletes run to the top of the hill for 1k at their half marathon pace and it doesn't really matter exactly what pace they run 10k pace feels really 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 hard on an uphill marathon pace you can run if you want to practice your marathon pace um but generally, it should just be a hard run to the top of the hill because we're working on getting you to get some kind of physiological, get into some kind of distress. And then we'll rest at the top for only a minute, maybe 90 seconds at the most. That's the most time that we spend at the top of the hill. And then the most important part of the workout happens. We turn around and we run downhill. We run downhill at our marathon goal pace, no faster. So what I'm doing there is making sure that your body is adjusting its its body placement so you can handle different grades up and down, sort of flowing down the hill without putting the brakes on, without f going too fast, and beginning to find that rhythm that you're looking for on the descent. Um, this part of the workout is very easy. Um, the hardest thing is that you're just dealing with your own mental construct on how to deal with it, how to balance it, and how to get it right. We do this session twice in a cycle, so people might mess it up once or twice, one or two reps, but eventually by the time they get to the fifth rep, hopefully they've kind of found their rhythm, and then um, we do it again in the cycle so that they've got a chance to do it, to, get, to go through it a whole nother time. So again, it's 10 times a, a K, which isn't incredibly difficult, um, hard working on uphill just to 
get some physiological adaptation and do some hard work, and then most importantly, to work the downhill section. So Christian, you've done this workout a couple of times. Talk a little bit about the experience of it, the challenges of it, and, and how you kind of adapted and, and have used it practically um, in your training. Yeah, so I think, well, I won't speak about the specific time that we did these workouts because it was, it had iced. Yeah, it was a really, days. yeah. Um, but as you were talking about the rest after the um, HMGP section, so right, you start out, you're at half marathon goal pace, then you take 60 seconds rest or 90 seconds Although I think you just made that up because I'm pretty sure it was like 60 seconds. Yeah. I, anyway. I, do I contradict myself? I mean. I contain multitudes. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, and I don't know if this is this is part of the point for you. You've never really talked about it, but I was just wondering if um, that rest is a good way to sort of simulate the start line experience. You know, you get to rest or you haven't run yet. And specifically for Boston, because it starts out so downhill, you feel good, you're excited, and you it's so easy to go way faster than MGP. So in these ten in the in these 1K reps, you're have you have just finished some hard hard-ish work and you're rested, and then really not in addition to going downhill, you are rested, so then you're really needing to pull yourself back from going too fast. Is that? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I've also done another session where we would go over to Rolling Wood, which is a different section. Yeah. Where it's I much work. much deeper. And I make you work a lot harder, right? So people are going into it more tired. And so, yes, there is that thought process that part of those downhills is that you're fresh and you're feeling pretty good um, and that you have to control yourself. It's basically about learning to control yourself and finding your own internal natural body position and your own internal natural rhythm while running downhill. This is the critical and crucial part of the workout. Right, and so I think that is something that you can really practice in this workout or running downhill repeats in general, but be aware. And I mean, obviously, if you're running Boston, you've run other races before, so you know how excited you are when the gun goes off. Boston goes downhill at the start. And so if you think that you're running slow enough at the start, you probably still need to pull back um, because you're going with the crowd and everyone's excited. And there are so many people who are excited for you to be out there. So really learning that self-control and kind of trying, trying to tune out all of that is a good thing to practice in these downhill reps. Yeah, Boston drops 300 feet in five miles. That's a lot. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. It's a lot, especially because it drops and then it gains some elevation, then it drops again, and then it gains some elevation. You don't notice the gain; those gains, though. You and you don't notice the drop, but it's there. You know what, Kristen? It's really funny because you you didn't, right? But I've had people who told me they never knew that there was any downhill at all in the course <laughs> because all they could all they did was deal with the uphills. So a lot of people have different experiences of it, but it is so precipitously downhill that first five miles that almost everybody recognizes it, knows it, and should be ready to deal with it. So number one, if you are not doing downhill work right now, you have time. You can do this workout that I'm suggesting. You can also do longer, more continuous downhills if you've got um, people who can help you with it by running down a long continuous downhill stopping at the bottom 
having someone take you back up, a, a drive you back up to the top of the hill, and then have you run back down. Again, there's a variety of different ways to work on this downhill work. The key attributes are this. Number one, getting those neural, that neuromuscular recruitment from the quadriceps in pounding. And number two, to get yourself to be able to handle body positioning and rhythm while you're running downhill and while still staying at your marathon goal pace. This is a fine-tuned thing that, that makes it, you know, anybody can ride a bike, right? So anybody can run downhill. But running downhill while you're running at your goal pace is kind of like balancing on your bike at a stoplight or a stop sign. Yes, it's still on it. You're still riding a bike, but it's a very different experience of it. And I want to make sure that folks pay attention to that. The second kind of workout that I'll describe to you in terms of preparing for downhill work is doing some long runs that have a lot of downhill in it. Um, in, in my Boston simulation workouts that I suggest that are part of a long run, we do repetitions loops of a very big hill in Austin called Mount Benel, and then we descend it on another road called Balconies. And it's really egregiously and pretty monstrously downhill and pretty egregiously and pretty monstrously uphill. And I use that really difficult scenario to try to highlight the experiences the athletes will be going through to get them into a mentally challenged position. And we'll talk a little bit about that in the last part of our episode. But the reason I do it is just to make sure that when you're tired and as you've gone through 10 or 12 or 14, 16 miles, that you're getting ready to you're getting prepared for still concentrating on your running uphill and still concentrating on your getting your body positioning on the downhill when you're less than optimally tuned. Because if you're just doing 10 times 1K, you're really not going to be challenged mentally very hard on that workout. It's not going to be where you're at a low point at a nadir and really wondering how you're going to get through the workout. But my Boston simulator is designed specifically to put people in a really big ball of pain and suffering, and then making them deal with climbing and dropping in that scenario. Yeah, another way to um, to train your quad specifically to be able to handle that load, um, let me preface this with, you should all be in the weight room at least twice a week. Um, so if you have a trainer, or if you have the internet, <laughs> um, look up eccentric um muscle contractions and different ways that you can train your quads in the gym. And obviously you can't just do it in the gym. It has to be on the road as well, but a way to add to your downhill training would be to train your eccentric muscle contractions in the gym. Um, so look that up. I'm not going to go into that here and now because I am not a trainer. Um, but ask your trainer about it and, um, and definitely be working those muscles. Yeah. So logistically, another thing to talk about here, I've got a number of athletes that I coach that that train in Houston, which is really, really flat. And I remember when we first started working with them, they would say to me, oh, I can't do this. There's no way I can, I can get in. We don't have any hills. Well, there are things called stairs, and you can use stairs to run up a stair, run downstairs. That will help eccentrically load, get that eccentric loading. It's a little aggressive. You can also, when the, the main thing I recommend are um, utilizing parking garages where you could maybe have a long, tall parking garage that would allow you to run all the way down um, the uh, parking garage levels to help you with that. Um, so there are other options if you live in a really flat place. So don't just jettison this idea because you will 
you will absolutely at the 16th mile, which is in a really big downhill, if you haven't done your downhill work, it's going to fry you and you're going to be cooked. You're going to be finished before you even start the main part of the race. And listen, if you're listening to my voice and Kristen's voice right now, you have seven weeks to rectify the situation. So you won't be able to blame us. You'll only be able to blame yourself. Find a way to get some downhill work in. If that's all you hear from the rest of this podcast, you can stop us and move on. I promise you there'll be some more nuggets in here, but that's the most important piece. Mm, Working downhill. (laughs) What kind? Chicken or pretzel nuggets or gold nuggets? What are you looking for? What kind of nuggets? I can't talk about food right now. Okay. We're not talking about food. All right. So what else? are we talking about in terms of training focuses for Boston? Um, I think it goes without saying that most people, when they think about Boston, they hear about the Newton Hills. They hear about how difficult the hills are, how challenging they are. Kristen and I both are of the opinion that it's not really that hard. You guys, it's like anything. Don't, I mean, if you've run it before and you have your own experience with it. Run it it again. Run it again. It'll change. Change your mindset. I don't know. But, don't let people freak you out about the hills. And I don't know if that's just a perspective thing because we live in Austin and it's pretty hilly hill here, but there You also have a coach who believes that hills are a form of speed work and you do hills all the I time. I don't know. You also have, I don't know, hundreds, a thousand people on every hill cheering for you like like you're their kid. So you have this energy help that's going to help you get up the hill because one you're running a marathon two you're at you made it to boston right and three you have all these people out there like cheering for you and you're it feels like you're their only concern in that race so i don't know i guess that that would be you know for steve his biggest piece of advice was running downhill for me it would be don't let people get into your fucking head about these hills like don't don't have a defeatist attitude with regard to the hills because one, they're really not that bad. And two, there's so much that Boston offers in the way of support for those hills. So just just ride that wave for sure. So seven weeks out, there are some things you can do. I'm going to give you one main suggestion, and that is to run hills late in your long runs. Okay? So you can get over that late race pain and be able to handle the hills a lot better if in your training you're positioning some hill work right where you'll see it at Boston. So keep that in mind as you dial in your long runs over the next couple of weeks, as you look at your last, your your key long runs, and maybe if you've got quality in your long runs, look at simulating and implementing some hills in there that sit from 16 to 20 miles so that you're at least prepared physiologically and psychologically for what you're dealing with so that you're able to take the advice that Kristen's giving you it, it won't do you, Kristen's advice won't do you any good if you don't run some hills from 16 to 20 miles in a long run, right? I mean, if it's if it's the first time you deal with it, you're going to get goat roped. You're going to get spanked, right? So prepare for that by implementing over the next few weeks hilly sections of running um, late in your runs. And especially if you could add some downhill before that, before you go into the uphill, it would be even more advantageous. Yeah, so, and if you don't have... Um a coach or if you don't have somebody who plans out your your routes for runs find a loop and if nothing else i mean because i think a lot of times we talk about this in ways that 
that pertains to people who have somebody mapping this out for them. So don't let that overwhelm you. Just try and find a loop. And honestly, if you can do a hilly loop several times a week, and if you use the same loop to do long runs so that you can get, so that you can position the hills later in the run, I mean, it's not going to hurt you to do too many hills, right? No, it will never hurt you. As long as you're able to recuperate and recover and you're running slow enough to benefit from it, you know, keeping in mind where you place your workouts and everything else, no, hills are always good for you. I love hills on drop weeks. I love hills on easy days. Hills are good. Don't I Hills know? for breakfast, hills for lunch, hills for dinner, and hills for dessert. <laughs> die on your hills right it's a hill to die on all right moving on (laughs) um so the other next thing i want to talk about in terms of training focus is listen from 20 miles to the finish it is downhill and fast if you've done your downhill work and you've prepared by doing some good uphill work you're going to be able to close this race out really well and in my experience over the last 15 years, probably the most important thing that I've implemented in my long runs for the athletes that I coach is closing and working on closing all the time. ABC, always be closing. And at Boston, it really pays huge dividends. Um, Because if you've done your prep, and you're prepared to run the time that you hope that you hope to run, and you've worked on the downhill and uphill work, you're going to be able to crush that last 10k and so focusing on knowing that you can close feeling what it feels like to close out a 20 mile run to close out a 22 mile run to close out a 24 mile run will place you in the right psychological space to take advantage of the end of your runs and that's one of the things that i found that was just a game changer for the athletes that i worked with we weren't able to finish races out really well whether it was uphill or downhill um by just shifting to having closed workouts consistently throughout the cycle, it is hugely beneficial. So add some closes into your long runs. Even if it's your six, 14 to 16 mile long run, close it out. If it's a 20 plus, absolutely close it out. If you're not doing quality in your long runs, close out all of your long runs. If you are doing quality in your long runs, still close it out. Still close it out. Well, hopefully you're able to do that because that's what you're going to be trying to do on race day. So ABC, folks, always be closing. Um, perhaps we'll have an entire episode on closed workouts because I could talk about this all damn day. Um, but anyway, the next thing, in your training over the next seven weeks, stop hyper-focusing on your marathon goal pace. Skrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
But in Boston, you might be 620, you might be 640, and just kind of be okay with that. And know, we'll talk about gates in a little bit, know what your gates are so that you know where you are if you're trying to hit um, a very specific time goal for any sort of qualifying purposes, right? So if you're trying to get an OTQ or another BQ, you need to know pretty close pretty closely where you are when you're going, where you will be when you finish the race. But so I, I don't know. I'm not a coach, obviously, but I think I I just, I'm going to call bullshit on the, on the, you don't need to focus on MGP because I think you do. You just need to not be uptight about it. Well, I think I said, look at your range, but anyway, you, 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 um, (laughs) I'll always make it, I'll always be able to adjust. Anyway, Thank you for your insights, Kristen. They're valuable. Wow, I just got dismissed, <laughs> y'all. I'll see you next week. You, what you said is absolutely right, though. It's exactly what my point is, is that the range is what's incredibly important, not the specific pace. And the reason why I said don't focus on your MGP is because people are using their gigameters like they're the fucking, they're, they're, they're the exact ETA of where they're supposed to get to each and every single spot throughout the rest of the race of the the, the entire race course. And, you're going to be going downhill, so your your instant meter, whatever that is, I don't even know how this shit works because I don't have a geek meter. But well, I have one, but I don't whoa, use it. Whoa, whoa. But I don't use it. Um, I don't. I don't. You don't want to be trusting what it's telling you, and you don't want to be trying to run your exact pace. You want to be running ten seconds faster or ten seconds slower based on what the course is providing for you and knowing where you're at. And again, we'll talk about gates in just a second to give you some real, real practical insights on the strategy for how to manage that. But just don't worry so much in your exact training whether you're hitting your marathon goal pace because you think that's the rhythm that you're going to have to be running, that you need to get that in your legs. You're not going to get any part of this race. You're not going to get a feel for what your marathon pace feels like. It, it's going to adjust. Kristen is continuing to roll her eyes and disagree with me. So after Boston, tell us who was right, Kristen or me. Which one Which one was it? Oh, this is good. Yeah. I think I'm going to be right. You probably will. All right, so finally, last thing that you want me to be... Never fucking run it, so <laughs> what do you know? Y'all, y'all should not listen to him because I've done it twice. He's done it zero times. Yeah, well, maybe I'll have a different assessment when I run it, if I get there, I right? qualify, Buster. Yeah, okay. Last point on training focus. Anybody that's listened to me over the many years of doing podcasts or as a coach, I say this all the time. Weather fucking is. You can't do anything about weather. Boston in on Patriots Day in April, it has been 90 plus degrees. It has been last year sleeting, basically hailing and sleeting in the context of the race. It snowed at the start. It, it, we have no, it could be optimal. It could be anything. Do not adjust your training over the next seven weeks for weather. Don't adjust your, your times that you're trying to run. Don't adjust a goddamn thing. Hit your paces if you're focused on paces. Hit your heart rates if you're focused on heart rates. Hit your efforts if you're focused on efforts. But do not concern yourself with adjusting specifically for the weather because it's hot out today or there's humidity out there today. For the next seven weeks, stop using weather for any kind of excuse because you're not going to be able to use it that morning in Boston. It's not going to be available to you. I think this also goes back to what do you want? Why do you want it? Right? So if you're doing a big race prep workout and it's hot or humid and you go out there with your fucking bag of excuses, like they're fucking cookies, like, oh, it's humid. I'm going to adjust by 10 seconds. Well, 
go for it. But it could be humid on race day or it could be cold as shit on race day. So, I mean, you just, you got to roll with the punches for Boston. And if you start in training, like giving yourself excuses, then that doesn't mean that you're going to nail it perfectly every time. In fact, most of the time you probably won't. But I think defeating yourself before you even start is where where the where the problem is. Yes, I agree 100%. Um, this is a question of resilience. This is a question of being anti-fragile. Um, but, but more importantly, it's a question of, um, I don't know, like, are you serious about the thing that you say you want? Like you said, Kristen, it's like, why are you doing this? So you can dial up optimal weather conditions? This is fucking Boston Marathon. This is the Olympics for the everyman. It's going to be what it's going to be. So prepare yourself for any contingency and be ready for any contingency. It's also a fucking privilege to be there. So this is something that for those of us who raced last year, for any of you who raced last year, being, and trust me, I was the biggest fucking whiner of them all before last year on race day. I can attest to that. The days leading up to it. And then it was like something clicked on that start line where it was just like, it is a fucking privilege to be here, and how dare I bring anything less than my absolute best? So, run a beautiful race. That's the that to me is the definition of what Boston is all about. Anyway, is run a beautiful race, yeah. and that doesn't matter if it's a hundred degrees outside or if it's twenty five degrees outside. The ones who get the best experience of running Boston, who get to utilize the crowds to the best of their ability, are the people who show up trying to run a beautiful race. So yeah. keep that in mind. All right, so those are our points about um, training focuses. We could go on and on and on about them, but um, and we're already pretty deep into this podcast. So let's talk a little bit about determining your race strategy. Um, there's basically... Um, Four, three different ways to, well, two different ways to look at this. Um, there's the first way, which most people who do no preparation, do no planning, and don't know what the hell they're doing going into Boston, which is always amazing to me, Kristen, because you had, you had to get a qualifier to get there. So the fact that people walk into this with dazed and confused without an idea of what they're doing, um, it just boggles my mind that they're able to do that. But I don't know how many times people have told me, I went out too fast and I died. Um, that is not a race strategy that we're suggesting in any way, shape, or form. So That is dumb. <laughs> but that is a way that many, many people run this Boston Marathon. Some of you may be actually listening to this podcast, shaking your head and saying, Jesus, I wish I'd listened to this beforehand. But So here are two strategies that you can look at in terms of setting up your race plan that can be helpful. And then after that, what we'll do is talk a little bit about gates and how we utilize key points on the course to help you plan and strategize effectively. So the first race strategy is an even split race, which we like to, I like to call negative split effort. Um, the reason I call it a negative split effort is because it doesn't look like a negative split on your, on your results sheet. <laughs> when you look at it afterwards and you see your Strava or you see your um, results that say you ran basically even pace throughout the race, Yes, you ran an even pace throughout the race, but given how downhill this course is, what it should feel like is that you're holding back and being conservative early on, and you're running really hard and fast at the end of the race, even if mile by mile by mile, you have something in this you know five to 10 second range of paces. So um, it's an even split race plan if you look at it after the race, but your ideal way of looking at it going into the race is it's a negative split effort taking it 
conservative and easy in the early miles as you're running downhill. Realizing you're going to slow down from mile 16 or 18, mile 16 to about mile 20, and then closing the race out pretty quickly at the end of it. So it ends up looking like on a chart, you ran even splits or generally even splits. But in your effort, you said, I did a big negative split in the race. The fact that hills start from 16 to 20, and then you get some downhill from 20 to the finish means that we should be feeling like the efforts raised there, but our times end up being pretty consistent throughout. So that's one way to approach it. And that's the way I like to ask anybody to approach it who's trying to run a goal time at Boston. So if your goal is to run another qualifier at Boston, or your goal is to run a PR at Boston. Running is even split a race or even split based on the efforts as we talked about earlier, because the course is downhill mostly, is the best approach. Because it's the most even and consistent way to get the goal time that you want. And it allows you to make up for any things that you might have missed or any challenges you've had early on in the race or through the hills to get to where you want to be. So that's one strategy. Even split it, um, which will be a negative split effort. The next way to look at this, and I love anybody who wants to run a beautiful race at Boston, this is the way to race this race. Have a 20-mile easy run and PR for the last 10K. If you adopt that strategy for Boston, it is almost a foolproof method for running nearly as fast as you possibly can at Boston. That'll sound crazy. I know for many people, they'll say, what the hell are you talking about? Test me. Test me on it. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. And why wouldn't you? I don't know. Just to fuck with you, I guess. No, I don't know. It just... You don't want to, you wouldn't do it because it doesn't, I, no, it doesn't match think, your sensibility. I think that's really hard for the type A runner. But this course provides it. Go easy, going downhill, go easy through the hills. When you, it is, it's very hard for the type A runner. And so, my okay, so argument you, is that's why Boston screws so many people up so many times. So what do you say to the runner who barely qualified, but is planning on running 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes faster than their qualifying time? They need to even split it. They, that go to race strategy number one, the one because, I've already provided, the one that I think that most people should utilize. Okay. Use, use the first one because that's a pretty foolproof way of balancing those efforts out. But if you want to have fun, if you want to tear this thing apart, if you want to totally enjoy your Boston experience, run easy for 20 miles and knock the bottom out of the last 10K. I've even told people that I believe that it's possible to run the 10, your 10K PR at the end of this race. Now, that will require a generally good weather day because late in the if you're a three-hour, four-hour marathoner, it's going to get warm if it's a hot day. It is pretty hard to take advantage of that last 10K um, if it's really, really hot. But generally, this is a fantastic and really, really amazing way to experience Boston. And for anybody that wants to run, knows that they're going to Boston as a victory lap because it took them, it was so hard for them to get there and they want to learn and gain experience on the course, approach it this way. Tear it up after after you come off the top of um, Heartbreak Hill and roll fast and finish strong because you ran so easy for the first 20 miles. So that's another strategy. Those are two basic strategies that we can provide for looking at how to run Boston effectively. And again, the first strategy, the first idea we had of going out fast and dying, that's for the birds. Don't be that idiot. Don't be stupid. Don't be me, Boston number one. What do you mean? 
I did that. Oh, you did? Yeah. Hmm. That sucks. Yeah. Remember you thought I walked at the end. <laughs> Could you I, wait, wait, wait. Could you give a little perspective for people about that before you start throwing that shit out there? What was what was actually happening to your body on that? What how did you start that race? Too fast? No. No. What was in your belly? Oh, well I was pregnant. <laughs> okay. How how pregnant, Kristen? Seven and a half months. Okay. But there there we go. My, okay. But my my point was though that it was my first Boston, and I thought, oh, I feel, I feel really great. I can run, I think it was like nine minutes a mile. I can run. I can do this. I'm going to hold this for the whole um, for the whole race. And then I think I had a few, like, I don't know, 12, 14-minute miles in there. And at the end, Steve was like, oh, so you decided to walk. <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyway, the point is, I Boston got me. Right, I started way too fast and paid for it later. All right, so we were going to talk about breaking the race up into sections and doing gates, but I think I'm going to leave that and keep that as a separate podcast episode because I think I could probably cover 30 minutes easily on that topic by itself. Um, and so we're going to leave gates alone since we're sitting at 50 minutes now. So we're adjusting on the fly, people. We're going to talk about um, specific Boston mental training strategies. So what are the mental approaches that you can bring to this race that are crucial critical and crucial to um, getting where you need to be. So, Kristen, why don't you start us off here? Why don't you um, set this party, put, put, make, set this party on fire? What is that? Just What's say, it? Kristen, why don't you start us Kristen, off? Kristen, why don't you start us off? Okay, Thank that's you. better. Um, <laughs> mantras. So, Steve and I were talking about mantras the other day and, um, and how important they are in racing. And like everything... I'm going to preface it again because, I don't know, sometimes I like to repeat myself, but um, you can't start planning and working on this soon enough. So if you haven't already started gathering mantras, do so now and use them in different workouts and easy runs. What because, is a mantra? Um, I don't know, Steve. What's a mantra? This is your, this, this is, I found out about mantras from you. So I think. Well, I, it's a, I believe mantras come from yoga or Indian spirituality from our earliest ancestors who were Okay, I'm about. actually going to take this back over because <laughs> we're, we don't have a lot of time left and he won't shut up probably if we go down this. Just, it's a phrase or a word, but hopefully a, a very short, very positive phrase that you're going to use to get you through tough times in a race. Yeah, three syllables at most. Four I, syllables most. Just short and simple pithy and yeah <laughs> just so but the important thing here is find your mantra so if it's i don't know give me a mantra steve uh, okay um a b c always be closing a b c that's that's one that's, um that's one uh it can can't be, stop won't stop ugh. Now that Gross. that there's a problem with that one though because it's actually Can't. got a yeah conjunction and the conjunction is a negative. So um, here's one I've used many times. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I know I can. I know I can. I know I can. From the little yeah, engine so, that could. Yeah. So find your mantras, plural, um, and start practicing with them. Practice practice using them in easy runs and in hard workouts because sometimes you might hold on to a mantra thinking holy shit this is really badass this is good like it really resonates with me and then 
you never use it or you try it out and it didn't work. And so you definitely don't want to be there in a race. You want, um, and I don't necessarily buy into the don't use negative words um, because Samuel Beckett wrote a piece and at the end he says, I can't go on, I must go on, I will go on. And it's kind of long, but, and it has some negative words like can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they that really worked for me um, in, in races and in workouts. So I think just find whatever works for you and practice it. It's probably going to change. You might come up with something on your own. Um, you might end up scrapping it and, and deciding on something completely different. But it should be something that helps pull your, your mind through hard moments in a race. Or keep you engaged in the early race relaxation and staying smooth and not going too fast. Mantras not are not always just used for those last final miles that are difficult and challenging. They can also be really, really helpful early on to put you in the mindset and the position to following your plan, whatever your plan may be. Yeah, I think, so Steve, you usually have us do what, three mantras? Yeah, and again, I want before you start here, I wanna say, this is why we're doing this seven weeks out, because usually I'm having this conversation three days prior to race, and people are trying to come up with mantras beforehand, and they haven't had a chance to try them out. So. Yes. Right. So, three, usually. So Steve says three, and I think really that just depends on who you are and what works for you. I need one, and I use it the whole time. I use it from the minute I wake up in the morning until the race is over. And it's, for me, it calms me down getting to the starting line. It keeps me calm in the corral. It keeps me calm while I'm racing, it keeps me focused and centered on why. So for a, a mantra for me needs to be sort of all encompassing for, hey, you're a badass, you can do this, and also reminding me of why I'm out there doing it in the first place. So that's that's how I operate. But mantras also, yes, but, that's how you operate. So, and other people operate differently. And other people, even the same person operate no, but even the same person operates differently given a different race. So... You don't even, I, I can give an, exper- an example of someone who recently raced who told me how important it was for them to early on have a mantra that kept them calm, cool, and collected. And then they jettisoned it and moved on to the more motivational ones or deeper felt ones that could be used in the way I think that you're describing them. But the point is- Have several. And use them in training and use them consistently to see, do they function? Right. You'll find a few on race day though. That's the amazing thing. And don't be afraid to throw away the ones that you practiced if the one that you find in the middle of the race is working for you. Man, and write that shit on your arm if you need to. Tattoo it on your body like some of us have. Um, do just, or write it on a piece of paper, know it in your head. I don't know. Whatever you need to do. So do where that. might somebody find these mantras, Kristen? Like where, where, if somebody who's listening to us is like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the, what the, what the fuck. Like how do I find that? Like, where do they, where can they find them? Where does inspiration come from, Steve? I'm just kidding. Well, um, you just pulled four books off the bookshelf, so. <laughs> books, uh, stories, songs, um, your own head, you might come up with something. If you're creative, you might see something on someone's t-shirt, a bumper sticker. I don't know, like. Song lyrics are fantastic for this because they also come with a rhythm. 
too. But there, there are so many different places. You're seven weeks out, people. Start harvesting them. Start looking around in your life. Ask your best friends. Listen to your, ask some of, on the next long run that you run with training partners or people that you know, ask them their favorite mantra. Where it was their favorite mantra. Maybe that's one you could utilize. But, I am not a fan of that. But yeah, okay. everyone's different. And also, guys, right? This, this is bash on Steve day. It's my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, daughter, like, like water rolling off a duck's back. I just take it. It's all um, good. <laughs> right? You should be writing these down, too, like affirmations in your training log. Um, once you find what really works for you, and even before that, I don't know. I'm a big fan of writing things down in general. Obviously, yep. I just told you to tattoo your mantra onto your body. Yeah, so. Test it. Try it out. At, at, at bare minimum, utilize it on race day in race. Uh, utilize it in training so you're ready to utilize it on race day. Um, so mantras, that's one key approach that we think is going to be really critical given the different ups and downs of the course, breaking it up and getting mantras that function for you at different sections of the race course can be very, very helpful. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about is something we already talked about before, but we're going to talk about it again because it's nearly one of our favorite topics and we just continue to do more and more research on this topic and it is never more appropriate in any race than at Boston. I want to say it. You do it. Breathing. Breathing. <laughs> also, you guys, we've both been meditating like mad fiends um, and I won't talk about it too much, but the difference it has had in my life especially right now because I'm not running and I would not ever in a million years have been as calm as I am without practicing breath and meditation. So if you have been working with that, um, give it a, give it a go at, uh, at your next race, practice it at the start line again, to keep you calm, centered, focused, Practice it while you run. And focusing on breath isn't just meditation either. It's a way, it's something that people can operate and use and operate as a system for their body. Like it's a way to de de-stress. It's a way to think about. Give me an example of that. Okay. so I don't disagree with you. I'm just asking. I'm on a plane. Plane is, I mean, I'm set on a plane between two people who I do not want to be sitting next to. Right? Yes. They might be sweaty or loud or screaming baby uh, um, I don't know, stink to the highest heavens. I have utilized breathing as breath, breath control to try to get my discursive, crazy mind from focusing on this one negative into thinking about what's going on inside my body, getting me relaxed, and allowing me to think more positive thoughts rather than the focused negative ones that I'm dealing with at that moment. So I just use a breath, breathe, counting my breath for 10 beats, breathe one in, Breathe one out, two in, two out, and I'm not saying those words. I'm just I'm just counting in my own head the up and the down. And if I get distracted and I'm on eight and I can't remember where I'm at because I'm still thinking about the screaming baby or the stinky person that's next to me, I'm able to go back to one and start all over again. And within about three to four minutes of just doing some ten count breathing exercises, I find that I just calm way, way down. And I'm able to handle the stress of whatever I'm dealing with in that moment much, much, much better. And believe me, you're going to be on a bus dealing with a whole bunch of people all around you 
a breathing technique or having some breathing that works techniques that work for you can be very, very helpful. Yeah, and you can find a lot of this online. Um, so if you're not into the woo-woo, right, um, just think about counting your breath. You can do it like Steve said. You can count one, two, three, four. That's your in-breath. One, two, three, four. That's your out-breath, whatever. So if you're not into the woo-woo, think about it from a numbers perspective and just a way of you're basically counting to calm the fuck down. If you are into the woo-woo, you can focus on mindfulness and the sensation of the breath coming into and out of your body and think about it um, from an energy perspective. <laughs> you can listen, you can, you can use your, you can actually feel the difference in your breath through your breathing through your lungs. You can actually think about breath coming from your diaphragm. There's a whole litany of different methods to think about breathing, but believe me, you all are going to want and need breathing as control and as a technique for mental, mentally restoring equilibrium and being positive and minimizing stress um, because there is probably no greater stress than you're going to experience um, before command performance than you'll feel at Boston. It's, it's, it's just next level. It's next level. It's next level. Yeah, I said it twice. <laughs> All right, so we're we're an hour into this podcast. We gave you some physical, some training techniques. We gave you some mental training techniques. We gave you a little bit of race strategy. Um, uh, to wrap up, basically, I want to um, give you one basic thing to think about to finish this topic, which is basically, I really, really think it's important for you for the next seven weeks to be training for the things that you might experience. Um, and not just the things that you know you will experience. Um, you've, I've said this already before in other podcasts, and I've said it on this podcast in a kind of quick way, but being a problem-solving motherfucker is critical and crucial for this race. And doing that now, seven weeks out from your big race, is really, really critical. Be thinking about the things that might go wrong or the things that you might need to adapt and be ready to accomplish on that day. Because if you do that now, if you're in that position now where you're thinking about it, your ability to be able to roll with the punches, adapt, sustain, and focus on the objective and take advantage of all the goddamn training you've done, all the work that you've put in, all the money, believe me, if you're going to Boston, you are spending a bunch of cash. So take full advantage of this experience, relish it, but prepare for it and be ready for the things that might happen, not just the things that will happen. Don't hold on tightly. Don't be a control freak, but just plan a little bit. There you go. So thanks again for listening to us. Um, we had fun with this one. Um, if you have any questions, concerns, or issues, please email me, sissonettellusrunning.com. Um, we'd love to hear your comments. Uh, we're working on a potential question and answer episode. So if you'll send me some questions, to sisson at tellusrunning.com. We will work on some crazy answers. So thanks to everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, carry on. Till the next time.